Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, this morning I, I come before you and I ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to fill this place. Father, you know where each heart is, each man's heart, each woman's heart, and each child's heart. And I pray that you would speak to each one exactly where they are at. Father, you know the struggles, you know the joys, you know the pains that are there. And I pray, Father, that by the Spirit you address that. And that you would move in this place. And I offer this to you in the name of my beloved Jesus. Amen. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised and I was born and raised a Jew in New York City. And when I was a freshman in college, somebody told me about Jesus Christ. And I bowed my knee to him. And the young man who had told me about Jesus said to me, he gave me a small New Testament, and he said he's spoken to many people about the Lord, and he's seen many people come and go in their relationships with God. But what he's seen is that those who read the Scriptures remain with him. And I thought, oh, well, that's simple enough. I'll just read the Word of God every day. And for the last 25 of those 27 years, I've had a pattern of reading. And that pattern starts with Genesis chapter 1, and I go through to Revelation chapter 22. And when I'm done, I start again. And I just pick up reading where I left off the day before, and it's a very simple sequence. Just read right through the scriptures. And I began to see blessings in my life as I set apart to meditate on the Scriptures, and that's what I'm going to try to, to bring home today, is the blessings that come by meditating on the Scriptures. Every blessing in the Bible that I can see comes with an act of obedience. It is coupled to some act of obedience. If you do this, this is what will happen. Every blessing. Look in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Verses 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. God gives a promise there. That if we will take that word and meditate on it and call it blessed, that we will be like a tree firmly planted. When others are dying away, we will remain. When others' relationships are growing cold with God, we will remain. And it says He will bless us and we will prosper. I don't know all the different ways that God blesses and prospers people. It is different for everyone. But I'll tell you, it goes far deeper than money. Far deeper. A beautiful example of a man who prospered in the New Testament is a man named Philip. In, in Acts chapter 6, Philip was, was called as a deacon because... 
He was full of the Holy Spirit, and they called him to wait on tables. I work a lot with college students, trying to teach them how to be active in the church. And they say, what is my role? I say, wait on tables. That is your role. When you begin, you wait on tables, just like Philip did. In Acts chapter 8, it says, Philip went down to Samaria, and he started witnessing, and he was called Philip the Evangelist after that. And he brought the gospel into Samaria. Then he got some help from Peter. Peter came from Jerusalem and helped him so that the Holy Spirit fell on those people. And then God took him and he went up and he witnessed to an Ethiopian who worked in the court of Candace, the Ethiopian queen. And that eunuch received the Lord that day, was baptized by Philip and went and took the gospel to North Africa. But then you fast forward 20 years and you see what happened with Philip. In Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. On the next day we left and we came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. There's a secret right there. God came and blessed that man. It says that he had a house. Many people today don't even have a house. He had four daughters, and they were all good girls. They were virgins. And I tell college students, it is good to be a virgin. God has always spoken highly of that, both for men and for women. And if you haven't kept that, start from this day to set your life apart. It is scriptural. It is godly. And it says that they were prophetesses. They were active in the church. God said, look at the life of Philip. Let's bless him. Let's give him a home. Let's give him a bunch of kids who love God. Good kids. That's the blessing of God. God speaks blessing. We do many things for our children. And I do the same. Saturdays, I'm driving from one soccer game to another, from the woodlands down to Sugarland, back and forth. Go to football games and soccer games and baseball games and track meets. Spend a bunch of money sending my kids to Second Baptist School. (laughs) Do a lot. This is good. Why do we do that? Because we want them to do well in life. We want them to be successful. Well, the scriptures give a promise in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord, verse 1, Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. That's what he says. That his descendants will be mighty on this earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. That if I delight myself in the laws of God, in the ways of God, in His Word, that He will bless my children. I've done prison ministry. I did prison ministry for 10 years, walking into a maximum security prison every Monday night. And when I couldn't get through to a man, I would say to him, Do you have children that I can pray for? And immediately he would soften. And I have never heard a man in there say, no, don't pray for my kids. Every one of them cared deeply for their children. 
We care deeply. But there's a promise there. And that's why in the mornings when I rise up, I get my Bible and I fall on my knees and I start to meditate on this word of God, which I do every morning. And I start reading where I left off the day before and I say, God, speak to me. And when I get done with my time of reading and meditating on the laws of God and saying, God, teach me. I have pictures of my four children on the wall. And I point to the first one, to the oldest, who's now living in Jerusalem, Israel. And I say, Lord, remember her. Lord, I remember your promise to me that if I meditate on the law of the Lord, you will make her mighty on this earth. Lord, let her be a leader among people. Make her mighty on this earth. I remember your promise. And then I go to my next one and the next one and the next one. And I pray for them. And I remind God of his promise that if I meditate on this word, he will bless them. He will make them mighty on this earth. If you invest a lot in your children, but you do not meditate on the Word of God, you're missing out tremendously God's blessing upon your children. That's His promise. That's what He said He would do. So I pray for them. Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Promise to Joshua, who has to take over and start walking in the paths of Moses now. Moses is a great man. I mean, Jews deeply revere Moses. Moses' writings are held in the highest of esteem, above all other writings to a Jew. Now Joshua has to fill his shoes. And God says to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. For many, many years, I've walked with a plastic bag full of scripture verses. That I'm saying, God, do this in my life. And as I meditate on this, commit it to memory. Say, God, do this in my life. Do this in my life. Your word is true. And that's why every morning at 5.30... I wake up my children, I wake up my family, and they have to be downstairs at 5.30 in the morning, and we memorize scripture together, and we read from the scriptures together, and we have family devotions together. And I read from, from something called Hurlbuts, uh, H-U-R-L-B-U-T apostrophe S. Hurlbut's story of the Bible, because from whatever their age, you can start to start reading that from beginning to end. You cover the whole Bible. And every child can understand that, but there's nuggets of truth. It was written in 1939. It was first copyrighted. Wonderful, wonderful book. But whatever you read, open the scriptures, read and start to read with your family. Start to memorize scripture. And I've taken this as a practice. You know, I have talked to my daughters one is now 20, the other 17, and I've spoken to both of them independently. The boys are younger, 13 and 9. And I've said to my girls, what are you going to remember most about this family? And independently, they both said, our family devotions together. What about the family trip to Alaska? No. What about the other family vacations we've gone on? No. It's our family devotions together. This is what we will remember. 
this is what's meant most to us. And I'm just like you. I mean, I have a busy schedule just like the rest of you. For us, an evening time never worked because there's just too much going on, especially as the kids get older. But at 5.30 in the morning, there's no phone calls. We have our family devotions together. And by 6 a.m., I'm out of the house. I'm gone. But we've had our family devotions together. The scriptures do so much in our life. Let me give you some examples now to just paint upon this canvas of meditating on the scriptures. Sometimes God speaks through the scriptures by a concept. Remember when I was in graduate school, I was married and, and we had one child at that time and she was about a year old and we used to invite other college students into our home and we used to teach them the word of God and my wife would always cook them a meal and to this day she does that and we'll have between 30, 40, 50 graduate students or undergraduate students in our home every week. My wife cooks for them. But when we started, we used to have these young men and women in our home and she'd serve them. And college students are sloppy. They don't mean to be. It's inherent within them. And I remember seeing these young men walk in the home and they'd just walk in. I watched them. They wouldn't even wipe their feet and they'd have snow on their boots. And they'd just come walking in. And my daughter would walk, crawl behind them and pick up these little pieces of snow and eat them. I remember sitting, seeing them sit on the couches. And they'd be talking and eating and food would be rolling off and they were happy and they didn't even know it. Just fall right behind the couch. I remember one day, a few days after we had some folks over, saw my daughter sitting on the couch and she was chewing on a chicken bone that she found behind the pillow on the couch. It really started to bother me. I said, this whole place is getting trashed. It started to eat away at my heart, and I was reading one morning in Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. And God started to pull me back to that scripture again and again. What are you speaking to me, Lord? Then he spoke to my heart through this passage and he said, You know, you can keep your house clean if you don't invite them in, but you will see much revenue in their lives and in yours if you open up your home. God spoke a concept to me that I have never forgotten. And on that day, I said, this home will always be used for the Lord's work. And I've told my kids, you got some Christian meeting, have it in this house. Never would I protect this home. And we have bunches of students come through our home. And it's a disaster when they leave. But there's much revenue there. There was a man named David... And he tried to move an ark in 2 Samuel chapter 6. He tried to move an ark to the city of David. And in that process, there was some trouble. And he ended up leaving the ark at a man's house named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom was a Gittite. Wasn't even of the lineage of the Jews. He was a Gittite, it says. And the ark stayed in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And David's associates reported to him, O King David... God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. 
It said God blessed everything he had, his wife, his children, his farm, everything he had, because the ark of God was there. And David heard about that. You know what David said? To get that ark out of his house and bring it up here. <laughs> Let's get it up here. And that's what I want. Christian meeting in my house. Very selfish about that. I want it in my house. I want my house used for the Lord's work. Because I understand the blessing that's there. A concept was spoken to me that morning. That's what the scriptures do. Sometimes he speaks not just a concept, but a specific word for a particular situation that you're dealing with. I was living in Menlo Park, California, just outside Stanford. My wife and my two kids, we were living there. My wife stayed home with the kids and made $17,000 a year doing postdoctoral work. So the budget was tight and I had a bright idea. I said, Shireen, you know, you don't really have to wear makeup. Now, let me tell you, this doesn't work. I've been there. Because we can save a lot of money if you don't buy these things. Well, it didn't work. And in fact, the, the, the landlord's wife was a Mary Kay salesperson. And she got Shireen to buy a startup kit to go into the business. Startup kits, kits cost money. And started to really bother me. And you know, little things can start to work on a marriage. And you know, for us, divorce was never an option. It was never even a consideration. Because we knew what God's Word said. That God hates divorce. But there was this problem. And I set to pray about that for one hour every day. It's just something that I did. I prayed for one hour about that situation every day. And then one morning I was reading in the scriptures, just picking up where I'd left off the day before. And in Proverbs 27, verse 9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. <laughs> Period. And God spoke to my heart that morning, leave her alone. <laughs> Makes her glad. He spoke a specific word. And I remember feeling tremendous relief. She came out of the bedroom. I said, Shereen, you can wear all the makeup, all you want, anytime you want. She said, you are a moody man. <laughs> and because of her gracious and giving heart, these girls would come over to buy makeup. And she couldn't sell it to them. She would just give it to them. And she got rid of her startup kit. There was no more money left. And she was out of business. And God blessed. The whole situation was resolved in our home. It was taken care of. And I've never felt bad about it. Because God spoke a specific word. Sometimes, through the scriptures, He merely raises our faith. You'd be reading the scriptures and He raises your faith. does this to me all the time. Gives me faith for a particular situation that I'm dealing with that day. On September 3rd, 1993, I was in a hotel room on my knees reading the scriptures. And I had been invited back to the institution where I had gotten my Ph.D. I had been on my own as a professor for five years. And I had been invited back by my mentor, the one under whom I got my Ph.D., 
And he's a Japanese man, and Japanese way of educating is a little bit different than the American way, and it has its advantages and it has its disadvantages. Nevertheless, the way it is is you put down your students. Many don't survive, but those that survive just come through fighting. And I remember, whatever result that I would bring him as a graduate student, I thought it was really good, and he would say, pretty good, for your level. And then we got past. For your level. Never. And I was in this hotel room and I said, look, I have to now present a seminar today and talk about the research work that I've done independently now as a professor. And I have this guy going to be there on the front row. And I was reading that morning in Matthew 21, verse 21 and 22. And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. God started to raise my faith. And I said, okay, Lord, I pray that this day I give the best seminar ever in that department. These departments are, chemistry departments are old. These departments probably have been around a hundred years. These are old departments. And God just assured me it would be the best. I said, well, Lord, how will I know it's the best? And if my wife was there, she would say, yeah, that was the best. But how do I really know? So I said, Lord, if it's really the best, I pray that my mentor says that it was a super seminar. He didn't use that word a lot. Just that he would say it was super. So I gave the seminar that day, and I knew God had blessed. And I'll tell you, I always pray for the Holy Spirit to fall on people, whether it be in a church or in a lecture hall at the university or a seminar. And it's wonderful to walk with Christ in the secular world because the Holy Spirit hits people, and they don't expect it. They don't know what it is. Come to a church, you kind of expect it. And I see the Holy Spirit hit people all the time, and He hit people that day. And when I got done, that Japanese professor, in his Japanese accent, was sitting on the front row. He stood up, he raised his right hand, and he pointed toward the sky, and he said, Supa! Supa! I said, Lord, you're gracious. Sitting behind him on the end was a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, the one for whom my professor had worked. This lineage within chemistry is often an important thing. And I walked up to him in his 80s. And he was sitting there and I shook his hand. And I said, thank you for coming to the seminar today. And he held my hand. He says, there's something to tell you. That was the best seminar I have ever seen in my entire life. I said, that's very kind of you to say that. And in typical Nobel Prize winning fashion, he said... I'm not saying it to be kind. I really mean it. God speaks through the scriptures. He sometimes speaks to get a hold of our hearts. There was an occasion in the university where one, one fellow and I started right about the same time. And both untenured professors, and he walked into my office one day and he said, I want to get tenure before you ever do. 
that's not a very kind thing to say. I mean, even if it's true, you don't walk up to somebody and say that. Anyway, God started really blessing my work, and it just started exploding. I got lots of grants, a huge group, and I got staff and secretaries and all these people around me. And he still got his little metal desk across the hall. Very few grants, just hanging on. Then an undergraduate once came to my office, and she said, You know, I really like you. You're a good professor, you're a good teacher, but you know, that, that guy across the hall, he, he talks about you all the time to the students saying all these things about you that just aren't true. And he says this and that. I'll tell you, I was pretty upset. Because I know in the university, if you want trash to move, you just tell the undergrads. One. Tell one undergraduate. The next day, the whole campus knows, and it's on the back page of the paper. It's just the way it is. You want to float a trial balloon, you tell an undergrad. Boom. Campus knows. So I went storming down the hall, knocked on his door, and there was no answer. He went in. The Lord started to bring back to my heart the scripture that I had memorized with my kids. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. See that? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Down in 36 and 38 through 38, Luke 6, 36 through 38. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running, running over. For by your standard, standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The principle of sowing and reaping. You sow one kernel of corn, you get 10,000 kernels back. You sow one apple seed, you get an apple tree that for a hundred years bears apples. Thousands and thousands of them. You sow a little bit of judgment, you receive back a lot of judgment. Why is everybody always judging me? Well, maybe because you sowed judgment that time, you were just reaping. Same thing about, uh, about mercy. If we sow mercy... We get mercy. If we sow judgment, we get judgment. Sow a little mercy, you get mercy. So God started bringing this back. And I started to pray for this young man every day. Every day. You know, I go to this, the chapel on campus and I pray. This is a practice that I've had since I was an undergraduate. And I fall on my knees at noontime and I just pray. It's something I do. And I started to pray that God would bless his work, bless his research, bless his grant situation. You know what happened? God started blessing it. Started getting one grant after another. Publishing one paper after another. Just started exploding. He got national recognition so big that he got this beautiful offer from another university and he accepted it and he left and I was delighted. This is how God dealt with him. You pray for those who bother you. And don't pray that they get run over by a car. You just pray that God blesses them. Because we always want to get these cancers out of our lives, out of our hearts. And God says, okay, I'll remove it. I'll remove it from your heart. But I've got to cut into your heart first because it's all tied up with your heart. And by the time I get done, you're going to be a different man or a different woman. But then you're going to be free. 
God taught me through the scriptures how to deal with people. So many occasions he has taught me how to deal with situations for that day. Let me wrap this up for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Let me tell you men something else I've learned. If you just show this to your wife and it's supposed to mean something, it doesn't work. Show her that scripture, it doesn't work. Men, it says man is the head of woman. You are to be the head of spiritual things in your house in teaching your family the ways of God. I tell this to young people in the university. I say, man, you are the head in this relationship where you have to be the leader in chastity. Don't expect that young woman to push your hand away. You are the leader in chastity. Man, you take responsibility and lead. Men, married men in your home, you take up this role. If you are a single mother, God will give you that grace to do it. His grace is there. Grace is not just an undeserved gift. gift. It says in Philippians chapter 3, it is actually the power to do the very will of God. Men, you rise up and you begin to teach your children the ways of God. And you read them the scriptures in the morning. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher. Too bad. You learn. And you start to read to them the word of God. You say, well, my kids are real little. You start now. From the day they entered into our home, we got out of the I would pick them up 5.30 in the morning and we had family devotions. And if your wife doesn't join you, do it anyway. It may take six months or a year, but she'll become ashamed of herself being in that bed while you're teaching the kids and she'll come in and join you. You take the leadership role in your home. Man is to be the head in spiritual things. And you watch God start to bless you and bless your children and bless your family. And you watch your wife start to view you more as the head of that home. Because you've taken on spiritual leadership. And God will begin to teach you. And read to your children. And then get on your knees and pray for them. And put your hand on each one of them and pray for God's blessing upon them that day. That is your role, O oh man. Be the leader in your home in that. And you watch God bless you. And before you wake them up, be sure that you've had a time with the Lord where you have had God speak to you through the scriptures and lead in your family. And remember the blessing that will come. God's promise that he will make your children mighty on this earth for the generation of the upright will be blessed. And if you say, well, my children are old and gone, well, then you've got a lot of catching up to do. You better fall on your knees and begin to pray for them. And meditate on this word and say, God, as I meditate on this word, I remember your promise. So that they might be mighty on this earth. Let's pray.